The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday Major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 160 on the OneOutWear.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the OneOutWear.com website. Follow us on Twitter at OneOutWear.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash OneOutWear. This episode and all other previous episodes are on the OneOutWear.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, 2018, Happy New Year. You're here with us again on the first Thursday of the year. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Barry. Happy to be here. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Um, Christmas is done. It just seems like yesterday that it was sort of 1st, 2nd of December and going, oh, this is around again, okay, right, it's going to be good, well, you know, I was having family over for food and stuff, and I was doing the cooking, and then you got presents to buy, and like your typical sort of mail, everything left to the last minute, and ordering on Amazon, using Prime next day thing, but it's actually my fiance's account that's got the Prime, so having to order things, and then turning off notifications and emails because some of it was for her so she doesn't see you know what was <laughs> what was coming to her you know it's like i remember one year i got a new iphone uh through the same company that i've got my contract and stuff with and they were like okay and i was like yeah it's a gift so such and such and it was all the contract was set up in my name etc i think this was just last year actually possibly the year before and they proceeded because she already had you know, I already had the old phone with her and stuff. They proceeded to text her number, like, your new phone's on its way, uh, this and that, this and... And I had to be like, I had to make out. I actually did really well. I was like, what's this? Like, they phoned me about some upgrade, and I said, no, do not change anything. What's happening? And she's like, well, it's saying some phone's on its way to me, and it'll be delivered tomorrow, and you'll get an update from the courier, etc. So I'm obviously was playing it like... So I phoned the company. I, yeah, I was phoned the company, and I was like, look, could you send her a text, like, saying something along the lines of, sorry, the, please ignore previous messages, this was an error, such and such. So they actually did manage to text her, saying, like, sorry, please ignore all previous communications, it was an error on our system, just to confirm no changes have been made to your account. They actually text her that. And then the next really? day, the DHL or whatever text, your item is out for delivery. You know, I'm like, oh, for fuck. <laughs> you know? So I just, I just had to keep playing it to her that, like, no, like, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. You know, I was going, idiots and such and such. And then on Christmas Day, it was like, yeah, there's your new phone. I was like, she was like, oh, my God. I was like, yeah, I, had to, I actually did well to, like, salvage it. 
But this year, there wasn't much of that. I got most of my girlfriend stuff from actual brick-and-mortar stores, which are closing faster than ever. But I did go and get some stuff, and then some other bits and bobs were done online. And Long story short, before you know it, it's done. We're into 2018, and it's like it never happened, as usual, every year. Uh, which is really weird, the stress that people put themselves under. And I was actually thinking at Christmas time, like, you know, I'm I'm not minted, I'm not rich, but y- you do realise that how just having any amount of surplus money in your bank account at times like Christmas and birthdays and gatherings, it just takes that stress. I can't imagine the stress that, like, some, you know, single parents go through at Christmas that because it's stressful time enough even if you've got enough cash there to go and buy gifts for people if you don't have the cash to go and buy the gifts or the food or do this and that and especially nowadays with social media you see everybody else going oh i just got this we're getting that we've got all this great stuff it must be so so stressful for people and it was just going back to that gratitude thing of like yeah i was stressing out because i was like what i buy x person what i buy this and this is annoying, and I think you can get yourself easily caught up in that sort of stream of Christmas stress and carried along with it, like almost like feel you need to do that to, I don't know, in some sick way to feel that it's Christmas. Like if you're not stressed out about stuff, it doesn't feel like the holidays. And um, I just thought, like people, some people I know that were struggling. I'm like, you know, at least you've got the cash to do the basics and get gifts and a nice Christmas dinner and stuff on the table. For people that don't have that, I mean, it must be a horrible, stressful time of year. You know, it really must be. And then you got these ads in the UK. I don't know if they do it in the States as well, but literally January 2nd, we were watching television and the ad comes on. It's like, plan now for Christmas 2018. Uh, start putting money away. You know, it's companies you can pay money to weekly. And then in wow. in, in the 1st of December... They give you a lot of, like, vouchers that can be used in multiple stores on the high street and, you know, wherever. And it's like, you know, this will help you save. And it's just, people have just done it. And it's like, wow, it's coming round again. It's only 11 months. Start saving now so you can avoid all the disaster that you have. And it just, like, seems to be this constant perpetuating um, thing of, like, consumerism. And the way the world goes now, I mean... Again, I don't know if it's the same in uh, state, but we've got Easter eggs, chocolate Easter eggs, um, in the stores already on the shelves now in January, and Easter's not till April. Bang! And it's just like it seems that year after year, it just you know, it's it's an obvious thing to say, but I said it the other day. It's like January comes, you know, like right, I got to do my taxes before uh, January thirty first. Seems like just. You know, a few months ago, I did did them and thought, great, that's it for another year. And then, you know, it comes up, such and such is birthday that month, this and that. And Easter, Christmas, summer holiday, you know, for you guys, for some poker players, it's the World Series. And it's just like, there's certain aspects of your year that is mapped out with just um, regular occurrences and things in your life. And then the rest of the year is sort of like yours to make, you know, as you want. But um, I don't want to say Groundhog Day, but it's sort of just like, you know, it's it's kind of nice in a way that you get the seasons and everything goes again. And it's like you got a fresh slate to sort of start again. But also there's just like a familiarity. I can see how some people just get stuck in a rut of same same year after year sort of thing. So 
anyway, that's my New Year rant done. I don't even know where, where that came from, but um, that's, uh, that was my sort of philosophical takings over the last few days. And I didn't drink a drop on New Year. I had some drink, uh, alcohol on Christmas Day just while I was cooking, and um, I didn't... It's the first New Year in a long time. I mean, I hardly drink now anyway, but that's the first New Year, because I would normally just go, oh, it's New Year, you know, we'll have something at the Bells at like 12 o'clock and whatever, and before it we'll have a few drinks, even when I wasn't drinking. But this year, I didn't drink any alcohol, I was just soft drinks only, and, you know, my little sister's birthday's on New Year's Day, 1st of January, and we went up to her house, and my brother was there, one of my brothers, and the state he was in, he'd only, you know, he was at some house party for whatever time, and I just looked at him, and I was, like, so fresh, and he actually looked like he was going to die. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm glad I don't have that. You know, I'm just enjoying, like, it's just, That's it's crazy. Worst. Oh, it is, it really is. There, there, there was this one time I was in Regensburg, Germany, because I'm totally going to name drop country cities now. But I was with uh, actually one of the German players who taught me a great deal about what I know uh, in regards to cards, or did when I was starting. And we had the idea to go drinking on a Tuesday night. Uh, there was some promotion at the local bar, and it was thought it was too one but we didn't know so we ordered all our alcohol at the beginning of the night and then we drank all of it and then they came back by with another tray and they said this is on the house and we didn't know we'd paid for it we were just like oh my god thank you so much so we went ahead and you know had however many shots of Jaeger Meister each and then the next day I just I woke up wanting to vomit out my insides I was down for the count we were up till five in the morning at nine in the morning, my uh, buddy wakes me up and he goes, hey, I totally forgot about this, but we have to go to my parents' house today. Mm. And I went, what? And he said, yeah, they invited us over and we accepted uh, like weeks ago. And I, I went, no way I'm going, dude, sorry. And he said, no, you don't understand. You can't do that here. You can't accept a meal Uh and then just not show up. It'll look really bad for me. And I went, oh, my God. And, yeah, just muddled all the way to the German countryside. Very, very nice family. But the whole time we were, you know, they're just stocking all this buttery food in front of you. And you're, you, you're hung over and wondering, why, God, why <laughs> today? Uh, this would be amazing any other day of the week, but not right now. Yeah. I, do, I really don't miss it. Again, I... You know, I very rarely drink now at all, but when I when I used to, it's just like the hangovers. And as I've got older, I remember one time I was in Vegas, and the next day, I was just... If my flight was that day, I, I would have had to cancel and just pay whatever to get a flight another day. There's no way I could have got on a plane um, as hungover and feeling like I was going to die like that. But, yeah, I just don't miss that. I, I For me, it's again, it's a payoff decision thing. It's... At the time, nowadays, it's not worth me getting drunk for if I'm going to get that really, really bad hangover the next day or the next couple of days, I feel like absolute death. It's, it's just not worth it now for me. I don't need alcohol that much, you know, to have a good time, um, thankfully. Uh, I really, really don't miss it. And don't get me wrong, I'll still now, you know, ne next year or this year or whatever, there might be one time I'm at something and I have a few drinks and if I've not had a lot to eat, I'll... 
I'll get drunk in it, but I just it's those nights that you say when you're hitting shot after shot and drinks and doubles and trebles and whatever and it's the next day you're just like, Oh, this is just not worth it and I know a lot of people at Christmas time and New Year overindulge and do that and I think my brother the brother that, that was was twenty eight, he's uh six years younger than those six years matter, I'm telling you. It's, when I got late twenties and then thirty, as soon as you start having hangovers they're worse. It's just like your liver just doesn't regenerate as as much as when you're uh twenty one or that. It's it's crazy. I don't wanna sound like an old man, but it, it really is uh physiological thing I think with processing alcohol and just binge drinking the way I used to binge drink three four times a week I I genuinely thought I'd be hospitalized if I did consumed what I used to consume now um, uh, I, I just couldn't do it you know when I think of how much time I wasted on the tour drinking because that, that that was just all we did back then you take a lot of 18, 19-year-old men, very lonely, likely the geeks in their high school. Most of us came from video games before poker. And you give them a ton of money and you put them on the road and you, you don't speak the local language and now you're away from your family all the time. You're away from, or even in my case, I was just away from my home city. You get lonely and the only place to find any company was at the bar because mm -hmm. you go drink and you meet people and uh, people would, nobody wanted to speak to you in English when they were dead sober because they were worried their English would come across as uh, halting and incorrect and broken but when they've had a few drinks and they see the American across the bar like well maybe I want to try out my English now so it was just three, four nights a week and we would, you're talking about flights we there, there was one night in Portugal, I drank until 6.30 in the morning when somebody had to tell me, you have a flight in an hour, Alex. And I went, well, what, what time is it? And just remembering getting on those flights and like how sick I felt mm -hmm. all the mm -hmm. time. And I think back, you, 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 people, when they go out drinking, they expect a few types of nights. Every man who's gone drinking has the same hopes when he goes out to the bar and I had all of those happen for me I never think of them I it never comes up in my mind it's not something good for me it doesn't it didn't do anything for my life if I think about all my good memories most of them were sober most of them were uh the one time you know like picking up women at a bar is such a trashier thing compared to going up to a woman at a cafe in the types of conversations you'll have in the women you'll meet in the relationships you'll have and it's, it's i don't think about it it's uh there's nothing good i look back on my years of drinking going what a waste mm. it's such a and you, you don't want to sound like old man Chalmers. i want to sound like old man fitzgerald if you want to get a huge edge on the competition, one of the fastest edges you can get is just not drink. They've done research at large American universities where they have people binge drink one day of the week. They have them binge drink on Saturday. On Thursday, if they take a test, they score lower than people who didn't binge drink on Saturday. It stays in your system. It's not good for you. Yeah, I... And once again, we've turned the subject on to drugs and alcohol here <laughs> during a holiday podcast. 
I think we had one holiday podcast we got discussing pornography, but yeah, it, it yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how the seasons change and everything comes really quickly, and you're much more aware of that as you get older because time seems to go a lot slower. I mean, a lot faster as you get older because you're just busy all the time. And uh, I don't know about you, but I have more financial responsibilities now, so I find myself working more. And yeah, it feels like Christmas didn't even... Christmas felt like Christmas last year because I took however many weeks off and I took my family to uh, the Czech Republic. But this month, this year I didn't have that luxury. And I just, I worked on Christmas day and then, yeah, you were, you worry about all the getting gifts for everybody. And then it's just over. It's, it's done. And everybody, Hey, I liked your gift or they don't respond <laughs> to your gift, which makes me wonder. Uh, and it's, it's over. I had a, I had a couple thoughts, Barry, you were talking about, I've, I've had a couple thoughts lately. And I, I want to know what you think of it. You were saying, oh, people feel stress around the holidays, but imagine the stress of having to provide for your children as a single mother and you don't have the money and the kids are looking around at everybody else getting things and they're not getting anything. And I've been having this thought lately. My anxiety has been out of control since I got back from uh, – my girlfriend and I went to Hudson, uh, New York, uh, for New Year's, which was really fun. But I ate really bad while I was out there, and I ate a lot of stuff I don't normally eat. And my body, it, it's not, I don't want to say anxious as if it's a bad thing, because my body was processing it. And my body, I don't think, was used to that kind of rich food, because most days it's uh, uh, oatmeal in the morning or fish, vegetables, stuff like that. I'm really trying to keep my diet clean. And I've, I felt a lot of anxiety and it was very uncomfortable. But then I got, I had this thought that anxiety is not really a bad thing if it makes you do good things. If you think about it, having no anxiety would be really bad because anxiety makes you go up and cook a meal for yourself. Anxiety makes you cook a meal for your spouse if things aren't going that well between you two anxiety makes you Mm -hmm. work out in the mornings and i was trying to use my anxiety for good the last couple days and it was really helpful do you you feel like people would enjoy the holidays more if they said hey i'm just running around trying to meet up with my family buy everyone the right gift and spend enough time with family members but if i just look back and say this is the good kind of anxiety do you think they'd enjoy the holidays more yeah, I think so. I think it's important, as you say, because your body's just responding to what you're doing, what you're putting in it, what you're thinking, whether you're... Basically, it's just a, a sort of byproduct anxiety. And in a way, like you say, it does. It can make you... If you're really anxious about something, it can make you perform better in some cases. So it's just not letting it run away with itself and not you processing and get i think it's more getting stuck in your head and it's like what i've always said if you if you're just in your head all the time you start thinking oh what if i say this to that person or you know if i do this or that then what you're doing is you're providing both your actions and their imagined actions or responses so it's really just you going round and round you know 
you might think, what if I go and speak to this girl or you know, or a friend I've not spoke to in a while, etc. Then people play it out in their heads, the scenario. Well, it'll go like this, but that's you. Just that's not reality. That's not what the you know people project and like they think the person's going to respond or react this way or or want you to do this thing. But that's all just in your head. It's all imagined. So it's like it's really strange because you can end up people can end up getting stuck there and living their lives like that and then acting or not acting uh, accordingly. And that's why I think it's weird. And I think anxiety is like you say if you. The best thing to do if you're experiencing anxiety, I think, is is say, right, well, one, you know it will pass. If it's, I'm talking about crippling anxiety here. You know, it's like, you know it will pass eventually. You, you will be thinking better and clearer in the future. You've got to just kind of ride that out. And also, if you can, like what you've just said, Alex, use it to your advantage almost and use it as a positive going, like, I'm anxious just now because the last few weeks I haven't really done enough you know work and I'm not talking about overworking but yeah I've not done enough work to make enough cash to get over this little period etc maybe remove some of the money stresses that you you know you have just now or such and such and then you sort of say well this is good I'm going to use it as motivation then so that when you know I can get back to work and do this etc and and then the same for your body and mind you know you go it's like what I think I mentioned that a few shows ago. A guy was saying he was experiencing anxiety and stuff, but it's because he hadn't exercised in a few months again, and he'd stopped meditating and you know practicing mindfulness and gratitude. And he's like, "I'm just being lazy." I, so the anxiety is there, but I know as soon as I start meditating again and going for walks, and then maybe stepping up to running in a few weeks or months after it, then it'll be a lot better and whatever. And I think it's like anything. I think it's experience. I think if anybody experiences anxiety or severe anxiety for the first time or the first few times, it's a really, really scary place uh, to be. And without enough information or people to talk to that have also experienced it, uh, I think it can be really frightening. And until you sort of start reading actual medical definitions of anxiety and different anxiety disorders and, and stress, etc., then I think for some people, once it's labelled and they see other people experiencing that, even that can be a big weight off them. You know, like, right, wow, I've got a name for this thing that I thought was just the way that I acted in my head and everybody else was normal, you know, whatever normal is, you know, sort of thing. So I, I do mm-hmm. I do think it's uh, it's like fight or flight, which is what anxiety is in its highest form. You know, you're in, you're, your adrenaline's pumping, you're in a total fight or flight. Uh, which can lead to an anxiety attack or panic attack, but fight or flight is a good response. You know, it's your body preparing itself and your it's mind. You know, for ready for fight or flight. And okay, it's not a saber toothed tiger coming at you. It's maybe you going to a family function or Christmas shopping or whatever people's triggers are. But it is your body just responding. It's not out to get you, you know. Although your it can feel like your mind is sometimes. It's it's all about. I think it's all about just experience, like anything, and learning yourself. And taking it back to the drinking and stuff, like you saying, it's wasted years, and you can't look at it like that. But I also think you have to do it. I remember being nineteen, twenty, twenty, what going out three, four times a week, wasting, you know, in inverted commas, like money and blowing money, but. I still lived with my mum at the time and rent free and whatever. It's like, what else was I going to spend the money on about 
from going out buying expensive clothes and getting smashed. You know, it's like I was making money to do that, etc. And I think I think people do need to live it and go through it because what I see is I know people who are now 30s that never did any of that. They married young, etc. And they now feel like they never had that in their life and they never experienced it. And a lot of these people are the ones who then sort of want to go out and try and relive some sort of youth when they're 40 or 45. Try and, you know, well, I didn't do all that then or, you know, I don't know, go and cheat on their spouse or whatever. It's like... I, I do think there is something to be said for you need to experience everything and live it and whatever. And if that period is a few years wasted, as wasted in air quotes, you know, uh, as a 22-year-old going out and getting smashed drunk and doing stupid things that you can't even remember 70, no, 80% of it, you know, um, I don't know. I, I don't think it's really a bad thing. I think it's a bad thing if you're still doing it in your 30s and 40s and you know, you're an alcoholic. I think that's a bad thing. But um, if you'd had a few years in your 20s, like, wasted on drinking, just going out, you only live once. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a buyer into that, that it's fine to get out your system. Who knows if you didn't, you might be 35 thinking, shit, I never did that. Like, I missed that. I'm never going to have these years again. I'm never going to live again. You know, it's, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be going to do that now. And there's nothing more tragic than a 40-year-old man in a club um, standing popping <laughs> bottles it's just ridiculous you know so uh, you you make a you make a very good point I don't know if I stand corrected but I certainly don't stand correct uh, there there's I guess it comes down to you don't know what you, you didn't know what you didn't know and people don't know what they do not know and I know that sounds really stupid and repetitive but yeah, if you're 32 and you never partied at any age, don't know what that's like. And it, I, would, I would never dream of going back to that life because I know there's not really much there. And yeah, there were fun times when I was younger. There were, it's, uh, it's nice to know I did it at some point, that I did try to go out there and have fun. And it, it was fun to travel the world and uh, do certain things that I, I didn't think I'd ever get to do. And it is nice now that you can appreciate as you get older the quiet nights, uh, being able to read a book, snuggling with your significant other, relaxing. Uh, those things I don't think I'd appreciate as much if I didn't know, yeah, there's nothing going out on. There's nothing going on this New Year's Eve. Like if I go, yeah. if I go to the yeah. club, there's going to be nothing going on. But something I wanted to talk about on the anxiety thing, one last thought that's been helping me is if, and this is for anybody out there that struggles with anxiety, first thing you need to realize is everybody I know struggles with anxiety. I don't know someone who's genuinely not anxious. I don't know anybody. I haven't met that person. I meet people with tons of money, great-looking men, uh everything going for them and they just they're anxious they're everybody is insecure is the other thing i've noticed i haven't met someone who's not insecure about something and it's perfectly normal for that to happen and if you think about what humans have created that's all off the back of anxiety and worrying 
innovation is derived from discontent. So the thing that always helps me is when I'm feeling anxious, I tell myself, do something. Because ruminating just makes it worse. Just do anything, right? And there's... uh, If you're doing one thing, you can only do one thing at a time. We all know this. Trying to do two things at a time, we all have an experience where that did not go well. Uh, But... If you're doing one thing at a time, you're technically tending to everything because you can only do one thing at a time. So if you are in the process of doing something, that is all you can do. So as long as you get – I, I uh, if you get insecure about something, that's actually okay because you can use that to help you. Uh, I I remember there was a very distinct time uh, in Seattle. Uh, I started as a pro. Uh, I've been very blessed. I've made decent money every year. But I didn't know that at 18 this would be my life. I thought I was taking a shot. I was already kind of the loser in my high school because I was... not, Not that anybody treated me poorly, but... Uh, I, I was, I was very broke. I had kind of bummy clothes and I had to wear the same sweatshirt every day and it had holes in it. I wasn't going to college. There was no money for it. Uh, I was just kind of picking up odd jobs, uh, sleeping in my friend's garage. (laughs) And I was trying to make it in poker in the first five months. I, I had a negative ROI the first thousand tournaments I played on poker stars. And this is back when uh, money grew on trees. Uh, everybody was, I don't want to say making fun of me, but they were they were just looking at me oddly uh, because <laughs> I wasn't even the best poker player in my high school. I was like fourth or fifth, and I was telling people I wanted to make a go of this. I had one month where everything went well, and then I went pro, quote-unquote, and the next five months I couldn't make a nickel if my life depended on it, and I just slowly went through my savings. And I was walking through Seattle in the rain. And I count this as one of the best moments of my life. And I saw this guy, this guy who was, he was a very normal looking guy, but he was just, he was dressed really well. He had a really good suit and he was inside this really nice, uh, hotel Mm -hmm. in Seattle. And he was talking to this beautiful woman. Right. And this was, I, I didn't realize this tell recently but yeah it was an asian woman with her hair dyed blonde which is my girlfriend is an asian woman with her hair dyed blonde but okay and i remember just (laughs) it's dude it was it was a weird moment because i i said to myself i'm gonna be that guy i i i was very insecure because i looked at that guy and i felt a million miles away from that man and but but i and i felt very insecure and i looked at him i said i'm gonna be that guy one day and I swore to myself I would. And I, with that insecurity, it was actually a great driving force because whenever I was doing nothing, I felt it from that point on, right? There was no taking time off. And I could either sit there and wallow in the anxiety and try to play video games, which I didn't want to do, or you know, try to kill it with pot, which eventually I would succeed at for a few years, or try to kill it with alcohol, or do any of those things. But if I just felt the pain and did something about it, I kept going 
and it was slow and it was tumultuous and it didn't work. And just year after year, you know, failure after failure and people making fun of me and it didn't. And then one day everything came together and it, it all just came from keeping moving. It was, I was the slowest learner you can imagine. It was just all about moving, keeping going. And it's okay to feel insecurity, but the thing is, is if you don't ever mention it, nobody's really going to know. And if you use it to better yourself, a lot of times you'll eventually have the things that you want in life. Okay, so now that I'm off my pulpit, uh, let's go ahead and get into the questions. Yeah, I'll just end it on a quote. Oh, I can hear myself back out. Um, Winston Churchill quote about, um, if you're going through hell, then keep on going. I think that's that's a great quote. And, um, that, that one's amazing. That's a favorite of mine. Yeah. Okay, we will leave that there. Um, that's 2018 started with a, not so much a rant, but just a, amusing by, I don't know, old man Fitzgerald and... Um, <laughs> hanging on to his youth, old man Chalmers. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, let's get some questions done. Right, there is two questions here that are kind of similar, so, uh, but also not. But they both deserve to be asked. So this one is from Ryan. Hi, I'm looking at putting money to a separate bankroll in the year. My goal is to play live one two, with shots at a two five game. I play in Vegas a few times a year, but mainly local live tournaments. I'm also looking at playing some more live tournaments with buy-ins of around two hundred dollars. Now I'm looking. Now I'm not looking at doing this for a job. I have a secure job that pays well, but I'd like to treat my poker separately and build a pot. What tips and advice can you offer for this type of strategy, even to make me more profitable on my trips to Vegas? Thanks, Ryan. Uh, I, I was listening to the entire question, Ryan, but I, I think he was saying he wants to play 200 NL, uh, uh, 25 yeah, NL. Yeah, $1, $2. So 200 NL, uh, to 500 NL. He plays in Vegas a few times a year, so I'm assuming he's stateside, uh, mainly local live tournaments. He's also looking at playing some more live tournaments with buy-ins of $200 and up. Uh, he's got a secure job that pays well, but he's looking to treat his poker separately um, and build a pot. What types? What sorry? What tips and advice can you offer for this type of strategy, even to make me more profitable on my trips to Vegas? Thanks, Ryan. Well, Ryan, uh, a couple ideas. When you go to Vegas, you got to recognize it's a long haul. If you want to be making a lot of money from No Limit Hold'em. It is a full-time job, which is why I'm very adamant about specifying I'm not a professional poker player anymore because that's that designation goes to people that it, they put a lot of hours into it live. It has to be... You think about how few hands you see live, 40 to 50 hours a week just barely covers what you need to oversee variants. And you need to really invest in work on your game. It, but the thing that I could tell you, if you go into this with the right attitude, which is I want to do this as an experiment to see, of course I'm hoping to make money, 
but I recognize this as gambling. This is no different than if I were buying stocks. If we were buying stocks and we lost, we wouldn't go tell everybody in the neighborhood, oh, you wouldn't believe what a good pick I had, and it went down, right? Like, the, price, the stock price of Starbucks is allowed to drop. That, that, it, that it, it might be a good stock, but sometimes it drops. And uh, just as an example... So you got to go in this with the idea that you're doing this semi-seriously, but you're learning. And if you pay a little money to learn, that's okay. We all have to cut our teeth at some point in the game. And I actually think you're picking some great stakes to cut your teeth at. Now, of course, I, I shouldn't have to say this, but I always have to repeat it. Only play with money you can afford to lose. Gambling is absolutely awful if you cannot afford to lose the money. Uh, I would never recommend it. Uh, second of all, if you can lose the money, go in there and you got to have a number of buy-ins for 200 NL. I, I would say just stick at 200 NL because a lot of times the way you're going to make money in 200 NL is I, I would play 200 NL and the occasional tournament. Uh, tournaments are a very long ter- tournaments are a very long-term investment. You have to really play a number of them before you see your realization, uh, before you see your equity realization. I've been playing for 10 years plus. I don't think I've seen, not, not saying I should win more, but I'm just saying I don't think I've played enough tournaments to really know a ton about where I should stand in the tournament world. It takes a very long time to reach a full sample size. And many people think, the proper sample size will outlive all of us. So if you are really wanting to go make a go at this, I'd stick to 200 NL, and I would remember these things. Get it heads up every single time. So if three people limp $2, and it comes around to you in the cutoff, and you have ace-queen offsuit, most people's isolation raise there is 12 bucks, which gets called by four people... And then their their pair gets run down on the Turner River and they lose a ton of money and they come and complain to me. Or they, they miss the board and they can't do anything, so they just check back. No, it, you want to get it heads up with one guy. You make it 20 there. A lot of times the first time you do it, everybody will fold. Or one guy will call, and then most likely one one, per, one person is going to... If you think of a limp calling range or a cold calling range, that, that range is going to miss a number of boards. It's going to miss the board a majority of the time. And if you just, if you just, if you bet two-thirds of the pot, the bet needs to work 40% of the time. But if your guy there is missing, isn't even making a pair 50% of the time, you got yourself a nice little bet there. And you just keep eking out. You play like a very tight, aggressive game. And you just kind of eke out these $20 bets here and there. And... What happens is you get a little padding for the coolers, and, you know, the coolers are going to go one way or another. It doesn't really matter much. But the other thing you have to do is be really relentless when you flop a pair and a guy calls. If a guy flops a pair, if you flop a pair and the guy calls, you're going for three straights a lot of the time. Uh, Position bigger pot, superior hands, heads up. And then if you do that, that's just going to clock you a lot of chips. And... 
once you get a guy calling you, especially figure out who's limping every hand and then just get sick of you and calls the races. Because if you think of the guy who limps in for two and calls 26, it's usually not the best player at the table. That's usually the guy with the Allen Iverson jersey, uh, you know, uh, the white dude who seems to not realize his age. And he kind of gets testy with his jack. I've seen people like Lincoln call Jack Two of Diamonds in Vegas for $26. Then the Jack comes in. My guy there has Jack Ten, and the board is Jack Seven Three Two Hearts, and he checks back the turn, and I'm 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 very confused because the guy's calling you again with a seven. The guy's calling you again with a flush draw. The guy the guy's calling you with some weaker jacks, right? If he limped it limped and called because this is cash game poker where people are gambling up quite a bit. Go ahead and bet that turn. You don't have to bet the river. Uh, but buy that showdown with the turn bet and just keep things in your ballpark. And generally the thing you got to know, I actually tracked for this. I, I went through a database and I just filtered for every time somebody check raised on the turn or river, uh, an opponent, a typically lose passive opponent. And what I found was that generally that person had it. And when I started, I had a student who actually, as an experiment, I don't, I'm not really sure why they did it, but every single time somebody check-raised them or raised them, they called down with one pair. And I asked them, you know, how did that work for you? And he said, oh, every single time I was reloading the tournament. Mm-hmm. And in Vegas cash games, people, I, I, to be fair, in Vegas cash, people will try some random bluffs. And this is why I don't want you playing 2-5. There's actually some really good grinders at 2-5, and they can turn hands into bluffs. Uh, they can kind of pick up when you're doing a weak value bet and just check jam to see what you're doing. All these plays are very rare in tournament poker, by the way. It's very hard to find a player who's capable of doing them. But in 200 NL, you don't have to worry about that. It's a lot of when guys come in and they want to drink a couple of beers and they want to play some cards, they're going to go to 200 NL. 500 NL, sometimes they go to, but usually those punters, know a little bit more about the game, and they're a little trickier. They might not know exactly when to implement it, but they, they uh, a lot of those guys have the money to dump at that game because they're a little cagey in life, or they have the money to play $500 buy-ins, whereas I find a lot of guys play $200 no limits scared, and then they lamp and they call, which they think is the more passive strategy, which will keep the pot small, and then you just got to make sure you don't make those pots small for those people, and just keep pricing them in. And think about it, if you... uh a lot of times the pot will be $120 on the river, and my guy will have, like, top pair, second kicker, and the other guy has $120 back. He has 160 and he doesn't know if he shoves if the guy is going to call with a weaker pair. And I always want to ask, like, well, who says you have to shove? Just go ahead and bet 40 there. Mm-hmm. And then most guys are just going to groan and call. But I, it, I would like to make $40 an hour just sitting around playing cards. $40 is $40. And if you keep adding up all those bets, yeah, like one time out of 20, the guy just gets pissed off with you and check jams with a missed draw or something. If you're worried about that, you can bet something like 65 something where the guy would have to be absolutely insane to check jam and think that he's bluffing uh, you off of anything. But there's... 
Not that that's not a great play when you play against high six players, but that doesn't happen so often. Uh, that said, most guys, what's going to end up happening is if you just bet the gimme bet, like the $40 bet, the $50 bet, they're just going to groan and call, see your ad and fold. And if you just keep collecting those, good poker isn't... Uh, I used to be a very flashy player. Uh, I, I ran really crazy bluffs all the time. I, 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 I Deep in tournaments, I, I, I always was going for the gold. And it was, you know, it was fun at that time and everything. But as I've gotten older and I've realized this, making money at poker a lot of times is... It's it's a lot of just sitting there, playing a little tighter than the next guy, and when you do get dealt a hand, getting as much money from it as possible. And I know that goes back to the rounders. You want to play tight, aggressive, but it really is like that. And if you execute with fundamentals, which I believe is PBSH, because if you look at any database, uh, database PBSH, by the way, one, one more time, stands for Position Bigger Pot Superior Hands, heads up. If you look at any database on Earth, you in filter for when you have the lead, you are winning. When you raise and nobody three bets you, you are turning a profit. When you three bet and nobody four bets you, you're turning a profit. When you're continuation betting, you're turning a profit. When you turn continuation bet, you're turning a profit. The only time you are not turning a profit is when you open, somebody three bets you and you have no intention to four bet. Uh, when you three bet and the guy four bets you and you have no intention to five bet. Uh, when you check back, a lot of times you'll look at your checking range and how you did with that. A lot of times you're losing money when it comes to the next river because you don't know, have any idea what to do on that river, and you're just playing a guessing game. Uh, the other thing I would tell you to do is work on your live game. And I actually have quite a few tricks I use live, which I don't talk about. We could talk about in a private lesson. Well, uh, private lessons are ending, but... Uh, we talk about them in Live Poker 101, uh, a course that I taught, which I have the videos of, if you want to write me about that at alex at com. But if I can give you one thing with Live Poker is figure out when the guy is calm and figure out when the guy is riled up, because that's very different for different people. Uh, some guys get really riled up when they have a hand, but they're very calm when they're bluffing. Some people are very calm with a hand, and they get really uh they get really riled up when they're bluffing uh sorry i hope i reverse those two but uh there's and if you think this doesn't come up uh my biggest play in uh wpt montreal which unfortunately i got to the final four tables or whatever it was i didn't final table that one but uh the i picked off a huge bluff from a guy because i was paying attention the whole day and i could see when he got riled up and when he didn't and there was a pattern to it, and I picked it off, and I called him on the river for all my chips. It was like 4000 real dollars Canadian with second pair, second kicker. And I wouldn't have been able to make that play if I hadn't been paying attention all day. That's the other thing. When you're there in Vegas, you need to be there in Vegas. You cannot be on your cell phone. You can't be watching the Masters. You can't be watching the football playoffs. You can't be doing any of that. When you're at the table, you're watching the other guys play. And if you have a hard time noting what happens in a hand, at the very least, notice who opens with what hand. And if you start seeing them opening with dry aces, like ace-9, ace-8, ace-7, ace-6, ace-5, ace-4, ace-3, ace-2, especially offsuits, suited gaffers, uh, 
things of that nature, unsuited connectors like 10-9 offsuit, 9-8 offsuit, 8-7 offsuit, that guy is just ripe uh, to be picked off. Go after that person. Good luck to you, Ryan. Okay. Okay. And as I said, I, I, said, oh, I can hear myself. Oh, thanks, Alex. You muted it just before I said it. Um, the next question, as I said, they were similar, but I do think they both deserve to be asked. Um, this one is from Alan. Hello, I have a question for you guys. I'm looking at traveling to Las Vegas next year for a few weeks. Uh, this question was sent in 2017, so it is this year now. Uh, I will be traveling alone, and the sole purpose is to play poker, mix of cash games and tournaments. I'm really flexible on my travel dates. What time of the year would you guys say is the best time to go? Obviously, World Series looks interesting, but I'm not really bankrolled to play those events. I usually play 400 NL, sometimes 200 NL, and I've had the occasional shot at 1,000 NL and tournaments up to $500 buy-ins. Thanks. Uh, uh, I'm really big on going during the off-season in Vegas. Vegas is actually very pleasant uh, as far as the temperature, like right between winter and spring. Uh, it, once you get to the summer, it's just unbearable. Uh, but uh, I love pretty much, I, it is Vegas. It's the mecca of card playing. There's pretty much, as long as you stick to Binion's, Planet, Hollywood, places like that, you're never going to, uh, you're you're never gonna find that difficult of a game if you're well studied. Uh, that said, I I think I think you want to go right. I think you want to go right before the World Series. I think maybe like a month before, because a lot of retirees will still be out there. The temperature will be pretty nice. Uh, that being said, coming for the World Series is wonderful. I love that time of the year in Vegas. And something I want to say, if you guys are going to play tournaments, we talked about if you're, if you're trying to make money, I gave you the best advice I could possibly give you in Vegas. And by the way, that is a grind, what I just described. That is showing up to the card room. You got to love being... I used to love when I was playing 12 hours a day and not losing $600. I know that sounds strange, but uh, I just love the card room. I love playing cards. Uh, you gotta lo- you got to love it when you don't even like it. And sitting around in an air-conditioned room uh, w- with sports on TV, playing cards with a revolving cast of characters, and you meet the strangest people in Vegas, right? It's so fun. And... Uh, that's really not a bad thing, but if you're not in it, if you don't love it the way I just described, if you just heard me and you thought I was a crazy person, that's not a good sign because you got to really love it to make a living off of live cash, right? Now, that said, if you're not trying to make a living, if you're just going out there and you want to make a good go of it, I'd say go and play poker as much as you want, but the second you feel like you don't want to play, there's a hundred thousand things to do in Vegas. Vegas is one of the most fun cities on planet Earth. Old Las Vegas is a blast. There's tons of shows. Uh, Actually, I I meant to say there's a ton of shows in Old Las Vegas. There's a lot of concerts. It's a really, uh, they're really bringing that place back. Uh, There's a thousand shows on the Strip. There's arcades. There's roller coasters. There's baseball. There's hockey now. There's soon to be football. Uh, There's NBA Summer League. There's 
a thousand things going on, not to mention the, it has the world's tallest Ferris wheel, uh, there's nice places to get sushi and things like that. Have a list of things you want to do in Vegas, and something I used to always do with tournaments, I, let's talk about tournaments a bit here, which is what I was trying to round into. Uh, something I do with tournaments is I go and I play, and I keep score of myself, right? And my whole thing is, is if I make three serious errors, I'm studying the rest of the night, right? And that doesn't mean I'm going hard because I likely have to play the next day. But that means I'm watching training videos. I'm reading a book about poker. You know, I'm doing a lot of things that aren't – they're fun, but they're not hanging out watching my They're not Vegas fun. things. <laughs> yeah, they're not Vegas things, right? Yeah, they're, they're nerd Alex things. But uh, my whole – in an error to me would be a showdown comes in poker, and I have no idea what the action is. Uh, somebody ra- uh, somebody tables their hand, and I had no idea if he was the raiser or caller. Uh, losing the action during a hand. By the way, you're allowed to get it from somebody else at the table. If you miss the action because you were talking to the server, I think that's actually forgivable. But – if you just space out and miss the action in a hand, you can ask your neighbor, did he bet the turn? Nine times out of ten, they'll tell you. And uh, most people aren't good enough to lie about that, right? And uh, if, I, if I miss the action, and the other thing is, if I ever do a mistake like this, okay, I don't know what's going on here. I'm going to, if I never answer that statement with fold, that's a huge error, right? I don't even care if I call and won a big pot. I did not deserve to win that pot. That's, that, I was just gambling at that point. If you don't know what's going on and you still put your money in there hoping it's going to come back, you are no different than the people playing roulette. Actually, the people playing roulette are not deluding themselves. The people playing roulette are smarter than you at that point, right? They do not, they're not presumptuous. They're, they don't believe they have a skill edge in that part, right? Now, you might say, I have a gut instinct there. Chances are, if you haven't made it big in poker yet, you don't, okay? I've done a lot of looking into people who supposedly have gut instincts. When I filter out for all their gut plays, it looks as if they're just flipping a coin. Or a lot of times they just call always, and sometimes it works out, and they just block it out in their head when it doesn't. <laughs> but uh, if you can work through the hand in your head and you say, okay, I want to call here, I'm not positive it's right, but thinking about what, what hands he could possibly have here, okay, I'm going to call. If you said, I think he could have this missed flush draw, this missed flush draw, this missed flush draw, uh, this missed hand, that your logic might be off. Uh, you actually might not be, you might not realize you only counted like nine combinations versus the 126 that were value combos. But I don't count that as an error because now you're actively playing the game, right? And you can write it down and then evaluate that hand with your friends or with a coach or with uh, people on a uh, forum afterward. But if you're just playing Keno, that's a serious error, right? Now, if you get less than three errors, which I think we just – you can decide what an error is in your book. Mine is just anytime I'm gambling. Uh, Anytime I make a call I'm unsure of, that's a huge error. 
I, I'll actually be honest with you guys. If I have one error, I don't go out and do anything. Just one. Uh, because I believe I can play at that level. Uh, like, one serious error, right? Like, if I do a minor one, like, I wasn't paying attention. Like, I'll count that. And if I have three of those, it's like, okay, clearly I shouldn't have been playing cards today. But it's been a long time since I've done that. Uh, but, yeah, and then have a list of things you want to do after the tournament is over. And I think you should really play a hard PBSH method, which is you're getting, you're three betting a lot. You're getting heads up. You're going for value. And you either make a deep run in one of these or, you know, you kind of peter out six hours later. I, it, it, there are times, uh, there are times you will have to grind it out to get into the money, but what you don't want to do is what I see everybody in Vegas doing, which is they play like a total nit at the beginning they get very active seven or eight uh, levels in, right at the exact same time everybody is getting active. Uh, they lose one flip because they have to play flips because they're a little short-stacked at this point. Or they showed up four levels late and they're a little short-stacked at this point. They barely eke it into day two so they can tell everyone, I begged. And then they bust a level two the next day. And they're just worn out by the middle of the summer. What you want to do is go in there and, you know, don't try to push things, but if you see a guy's opening too many hands or the guy's opening from the hijack or cutoff or button, which means almost every player on earth there opens 25% of hands, three-bet your uh, unsuited broadways, three-bet some suited gappers if you know the guy's opening too much, three-bet your small pairs, three-bet your medium pairs, three-bet your hand, get a heads up, and try to go for value post-flop and what's going to either happen is you're going to have a really deep run in one of these tournaments and you're going to have a great time. Or about four hours in, you tried to capitalize on some equity. It didn't work out. You're done. So you go drive ATVs. You go, uh, what do they call it, uh, zip lining at the Rio. Or you do my favorite thing. I'm going to keep going back to this, watching my minor league baseball. Minor league baseball is amazing in Las Vegas because it's 120 degrees. You sit there. You veg out. If you're into drinking, which I'm not into, you just have your beer, uh, and you just sit there and watch the game, and it's incredible. And everybody just hits home runs constantly because the air is so thin. So it's actually pretty exciting. Yeah, I'll leave the baseball. Um. <laughs> no, you're not watching Winter League in the Dominican Republic right now, Barry? For shame. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm TiVo in it. Um just to delete it, just to have the feeling what's of it, deleting what's, it. What's your team in the Premier League, or do you even like Premier League soccer? Um, it's, it's Chelsea in the English League. Um, I've always, and for, there'll be listeners here thinking Gloria and or when an oligarch bought them in the early 2000s, but I've loved them when they never used to win anything as well. Oh, they used to always do well in the FA Cup when they had like Gianfranco Zola, and they had Georgie Weah, who's now president of Liberia, I think it is. Um, he used to be nice. uh, FIFA World Player of the Year. They used to always sign these sort of world stars just at the tail ends of their career and that sometimes as well. And they were always, they really played with flair, but they never really won the league. Uh, they used to do well in the cup competitions. Like that. So it's Chelsea, but no, my team is my local team who I support is Dundee. Uh, there's two teams uh, in Dundee. There's Dundee and Dundee United, and their stadiums are the closest two stadiums, um, I think, in world football, actually. Really? They, I, it's literally a street across. There's another football stadium. 
like one street. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Uh, Google Images uh, uh, search it Dundee football stadiums and uh, Dundee and Dundee United. And I'm a Dundee fan, so we are in the Scottish Premier League just now. And Dundee United fans, any of them listening, we relegated them. Um, we beat them and sent them down to Division One. So they are <laughs> they are currently in Division One. Um, so yeah, that's that that's always good fun. So no, I, I my local team is the team I've supported since I can you know Dundee. So and they win nothing. They've not won the league since the sixties. They won it once. Um, and no cup competitions, nothing. We don't win anything, really. So um, that's that. But um, yeah, regards going times of Vegas and stuff. I've been in February. And I spoke to Alex about this before. February was a really good time. Temperature, like really nice, um, perfect for me. You know, someone who's like, like, see, I've been in July as well, which was torture. It was like fifty-one degrees centigrade, which was just ridiculous. I remember coming out the Venetian for like fifteen seconds and the sun and the heat and the sweat it was just it was unbearable um as alex said and i've been in october as well which was sort of like a happy medium so but yeah i think it is that balance isn't it because although he's saying he's not rolled for the world series event there are those nightlies and dailies in the rio which are like 185 to 200 odd by and i think there's maybe some 300s but yeah it's vegas the venetians always got tons of tournaments going and so does Caesars Palace. I mean, there's always huge games in Vegas any month of the year, isn't there, Alex? There can't really be a bad time to go in terms of if you're wanting tournaments to play because you would arguably say World Series when all the people are there, like players that have actually travelled to play poker rather than people on holidays just dabbling in poker. So, um, I don't know. Alex, I take it you'll be going this year. Oh yeah, I don't know for how long though. I, I'm trying. What I'm trying to do this year is more regularly go, because what I used to always do is try to do a few big blowouts, and yeah, now I'm just trying to do once a month or something like that. I'm really toying with the idea of Atlantic City at the end of this month. Uh, I'm probably going to go. I'm not gonna lie. Just the way work is, it, it's hard to get these tournaments it's uh uh quite frankly the money's better in teaching than there is in actually playing the game so it's always hard to find the time to play uh i do play online pretty consistently lately but uh it it's uh i'm trying to play throughout the year and i'm vegas is good but i i like vegas for a couple weeks after that it's uh okay you know uh, i'm okay uh, I, I can deal with this. It's a, it, and it's not so much the heat because Bullhead City, nah, it is the heat. It's because you can't, you start processing stress differently in Las Vegas because you can't, you don't realize how much you walk during the day if you're in a place like, I don't know what you do in Dundee, but in New York you have to walk everywhere, and you just process stress differently because that's a good way to, okay, I'm getting some fresh air, I'm moving around pretty briskly. Then you get to Vegas, and it's like, I am not leaving this card room until next year. It is too hot outside. And then, you know, by day eight, you're just spinning on your axis. Uh-huh. Yeah, I found that when I went for two weeks on my own, it was like day 10 or 11. I remember being, I want to go home. I like, if I could click my fingers and just be on a, and home, I would I would have done it. And 
then I started beating myself. I was like, well, you're here playing, you know, all the time, and this is, you thought this would be great. <laughs> it's like, by day 10, I remember being on the phone, and I'm going, oh, I'm sick of it. I want to just come home. You know, I couldn't, and I'd, I'd been winning. I'd had a good trip, you know, profitable cash games, a few final tables tournaments. Could always been better, but I made money. You know, I made about four and a half thousand dollars, I think, in like a ten, eleven days. And I still wasn't like, oh, I want to extend the trip. I was like, I want to go home. You know, <laughs> it's like it was. It was. It was just I don't know too much. Um, well, Alex, I think we got time for one more question because this one I think you can just answer it uh, pretty straightforward. If you can't, we can leave it till next time. But I'm gonna because those two questions were similar. Uh, this one from, is from Joseph. Hello, I'm looking at buying some tools to help my game. What's better, Flopzilla or Cardrunners EV? I've also seen the Snapshot one talked about on Twitter. Thanks. Uh, the, uh, start with Flopzilla if you've never used either of them. Uh, Flopzilla, and what I would do is I would just start realizing what your bets need to accomplish. So all you got to do is divide the bet by how much is in the pot after you've bet and that'll tell you how often the bet needs to work as an absolute bluff. And if you're looking at a call, uh, you can put your hand in the dead cards, and then you can put the range to the left uh, with, uh, with Flopzilla and see how much equity you have. Uh, get used to filtering out, like putting a little check mark next to everything you think is doing a certain action, and then clicking the little red button at the bottom of the statistics to green for the filter and then putting in a turn card and seeing how that affects equities. I would just play around with that with Flopzilla first and just go through your hands and uh, pull up ranges and try to visualize people's ranges and uh, count the number of combinations they have of each hand and look at what percentage of the time they have each thing. I would just start with that. And once you feel like you're getting a really good handle of that, I, I would uh, pick up card runners EV. There's a ton of, free materials out there uh for each for each program uh so i i think that it would be a good idea for you to look up all of those and see what you have uh what you need to do in order to get a little bit better with these programs and i think that's a great start and from that point on uh the world's your oyster have fun with it okay okay alex um that is all we got time for today we're going to wrap it up here how can people get in touch with you for your webinars, newsletter, etc.? I said private coaching last time, but I remember your um, newsletter saying that you're running down the private coaching now. You're fully booked with all your current students. But I think there were like some slots left. I think you said 25 or something, although I imagine that's changed somewhat since then. Um, how can people get in touch with you anyway for further information and products? Uh, there's 10... Teach, there's 10 more lesson slots for the year. I pretty much have every one of my lesson packages I have, like these are the maximum lessons everybody has left. And I have, I booked 15, there were 25 left uh, roughly. I rounded it up to 25. And I booked 15, there was about 10 left. You can write me at alex at pokerhedrush.com if uh, you want to work with me on that. And, uh, also, if you guys want to check it out, I have a video that I'm uploading probably right after Barry and I are talking. And if you want to check that out, I'll have Barry put that in the liner notes. It's a cool little free training video that I put together. 
and uh, dissecting the dog bat. This, yep. Did you? Oh, sorry, I thought I heard you. No. Dissecting no, the. No. Okay, dissecting the dog bat till uh, Monday next week uh, is going to be twenty dollars, which is seventy five percent off. Actually, it's nineteen ninety nine. You know, just like all the great infomercials. And yeah, if you want to pick that up, that's a. If you really get sick of people raising your blind and then attack, taking the pot away from you on the flop when you flop nothing, develop a donk betting game. And uh, yeah, and uh, again, if you uh, just want to check out the free video, there's a bunch of content there uh, uh, about when you should donk lead. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. It's only about 10 minutes long, too. So I'm trying to make my videos more for uh, busy people. I know you guys listen to uh, podcasts when you're in your car or something, but it's a little harder to watch a video in your car. Yeah, uh, don't so, do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that, please. So uh, we, uh, uh, I try to make the videos short for you. Uh, sign up for my newsletter at PokerHeadRush.com. There's uh, there's a little sign up sheet to the top right. That's that's my fun little blog if you want to check that out. And uh, check out my training videos on Tournament Poker Edge and my weekly column at America's Card Rooms blog. Okay. That really did sound like an infomercial when you were talking about dissecting the dunk map. It was funny. It was the way you said you know, sick of people bluffing, you know, on the, <laughs> I, I just, I just imagine this, like, you know, at the ad break, it's like, are you tired of people betting, you know, the bluff? <laughs> too many continuation bets, this day, you know, I then just, get dissecting the donk bet for $19.99, you know, and we're throwing in a free card protector. <laughs> I just can imagine the infomercial actors, like, in a, continuation bet and then just slamming the table and jumping up and knocking over yeah. their chair and folding again. Yeah, that's <laughs> sort of like black, not black and white, it's like brown and white like little <laughs> silent bit like and the guy spilling his drink and you know like tired of continuation bet. <laughs> and then like a, a slightly better looking person in full color leading out yeah, <laughs> the dog yeah, and the smug. other guy just looking bemused like what is he doing and folding and then the guy really quietly raking in a huge pot and smiling with perfect teeth yeah i really should have done that commercial cut this out barry but no yeah, you should you gotta do it yeah you're a um okay um keep your questions coming in for alex uh questions at oneouter.com on email we will get them read out on a future show don't forget if you want 27 percent rate back as well americascardroom.com you need to sign up for your account by clicking on one of the America's Cardroom adverts or banners that are on the oneouter.com website. And there, one, there is one right on the front page, the home page on the right-hand side. Set up your account and that will all work. Your 27% rate back gets paid into your account from America's Cardroom. Um, Alex, thanks for taking the time. First one of 2018. Um, to anybody that is going to Vegas or big plans and stuff for this year, good luck with them. Um, work towards them on a daily basis. I think Alex touched on that recently in uh, a little newsletter I read from him. I think it was that Find That Gear one, actually. I'm not sure. He sent out two. I've read one of them. Um, it's like basically doing, you know, the day-to-day -day things and uh, they sort of mount up. Um, okay, thanks for listening. Keep your questions coming in. Till next week, we'll see you then, Alex. Cheers. Salud. The Sunday Major is back to the USA. America's Card Room is kicking off 2018 with a Texas Hold'em-sized bang that could change your life. 
Beginning January 7th, America's Card Room is hosting the biggest Sunday major on the planet with $1,001,000 on the table every week. Yes, $1,001,000 guaranteed. Forget about just one time to change your life. The $1,001,000 guaranteed tournament is happening weekly, all for just $265 a pop. For all the info, check out americascardroom.eu.